Let's be honest. Life's hard sometimes. We get discouraged, struggle in our faith, and it's easy to feel alone. Despite how you might feel sometimes, know that God's got your back. And so do we. Vision's prayer line team are ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Text your prayer request to 0401 132 888 and we will be praying for you. Or click prayerline at vision.org.au. That's 0401 132 888 or vision.org.au. It's another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The whole point of this, I mean, this whole series is based on Ephesians chapter 6, where we said that he is very organized, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and world forces, against the archists, the architects who plan out the evil, the exousias, based on the word execute, they execute the generals who execute the demonic plans, and then they need world forces, hosts, through which to work. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill, and thank you for joining me. This is Today with Jeff Vines. All around us, there's conflict between different influences. In this message, Pastor Jeff speaks about the conflict between light and dark, truth and lies, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the enemy. Whilst he refers to America a lot in this message, it translates to much of the Western world and modern culture around the world. Let's begin this next message in the series with Pastor Jeff. So we're still in Ephesians 6. We're in this series called Under the Influence. Uh, Let me just share something quickly with tell you where we're going. Uh, So last night, it was about 12.30. I'd gotten to sleep around 10, 10 10.30. And this has been happening a lot lately. I go right out, deep sleep, and then I'm wide awake like at uh, 12.30, 1 o'clock. So hmm, I don't know how long it's been. It's been a long time since I've had an anxiety attack. Now, given the topic that we're in, and uh, so it's, it's about 1230. I'd had a good Friday, a good Thursday and Friday, really good Thursday and Friday. So last night, about 1230, woke up. And at first of all, it was like I was having a dream. Here's the dream. The dream was that I felt, and you know, when you're dreaming what you interpret and what is reality, you're in the dream world. So I'm dreaming, and it feels like that the devil or something very evil is trying to get in bed with me, but I can't move. And I know it's happening, but I'm trying to think, am I awake or am I asleep? And I can't figure it out. So in my dream or in my wake, whatever it is, I start trying to say my wife's name. I'm saying, Robin, but I can't, I can't say it loud enough to wake her up. Or at least that's what's happening in my dream, whether I'm a dream or where I'm awake. And I finally woke up and I realized what was going on. Because when you have a severe anxiety attack at night, you start, it comes in a dream and then it wakes you up. So I stood up and I thought, oh no, not this again. And it took me quite a long time. Now, it was a tough one. It was a tough night. When you have one of those, it really zaps your energy. So I had to get up, have a bowl of cornflakes, and try to gather myself. (laughs) What happened? You know, I don't know. 
But it makes perfect sense to me that doing a series like this is not making the evil one happy. See, the thing about the evil one is this. As long as you just ignore him and go on with your life, I'll leave you alone. You start trying to trounce on his territory, he's going to try to trounce on yours. And the whole point of this, I mean, this whole series is based on Ephesians chapter 6, where we said that he is very organized, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and world forces. Against the archists, the architects who plan out the evil, the exousias, based on the word execute, they execute the generals who execute the demonic plans, and then they need world forces, hosts, through which to work. So you look out at culture right now, if you notice, you have a conversation with somebody about something like abortion or transgender issues or gay marriage. Have you noticed when you have a conversation, now 15 years ago, if I had a conversation with somebody about that, I could sit in a cafe and talk to them and nobody would get angry. We'd just talk and respect each other. Those days are gone. Now you start the conversation and immediate it's anger and rage and screaming and yelling. Why? It's demonic. It's, it's evil. <clears throat> For those of us who grew up in a, in a nation that we were taught that if you live by the precepts of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what we were taught, if you live by the precepts of the Sermon on the Mount and if culture embraces the ethics of the Judeo-Christian faith, that it would lead to prosperity. Now, just quickly, who, what, what is the most prosperous country or has been the most prosperous country on the planet for hundreds of years? A couple hundred. 70%. How much of the world's wealth is in America? Do you know the answer to that? Yeah, 65% of the world's wealth is in one country. If you make $70,000, which is the average household income in the United States, you're in the top 4% of wealth earners in the world. So we have been blessed. And those of us who grew up in this country with all of its mistakes, all of its horrible mistakes, we've always equated the fact that the reason, one of the reasons we've been so successful and so prosperous is because Judeo-Christianity with its integrity, character, telling the truth, the Ten Commandments, even though we all break them to some degree, but the foundation of the country based on that led to prosperity. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you can trust somebody, if there's integrity, if there's a character, if men and women stay together in marriage, raise children, I mean, it's common sense will tell you you're going to have a prosperous country. But that America's gone, folks. In fact, the turning away from God achieved critical mass in the 1960s. Do you remember when I, when I was in school, and I got to move through this quickly. So this, this, is one, this is the sermon in the sermon that's heavy, okay? Miss Treadway, fifth grade class. I remember Miss Treadway primarily because I had a crush on her. I mean, Miss <laughs> Treadway, I was fifth grader, 10 years old, but man, she was so beautiful. And we started the day with Bible reading. Anybody remember this? Bible reading, Pledge of Allegiance, and prayer. Nobody was forced. It's just what you did. And primarily you did it because in those days, there was this thought that the Bible was actual history, and it's history that we should know like all other history, and we should understand who the central character Jesus Christ really was and what influence he had on mankind. And the Bible had always actually been part of the American public school all the way back to Massachusetts Bay. This is going back a long, long time. And then suddenly, around the 1960s, instructing children from the Word of God was not only discouraged, but banned. Banned. 
wasn't just omitted, it was now you can't do it or you'll be in big trouble. Now, for those who go back another generation, you'll remember that on Monday morning, the major newspapers of America would publish summations of the weekend sermons. Imagine that, the Los Angeles Times publishing a summation of my sermon every Monday morning. Never going to happen, is it? It used to. The entertainment industry back in the 50s and 60s would uphold biblical morality. There was a line they would not cross. Politicians would speak openly about Christian values. Television stations, do you remember when they would close the day with prayer and scripture before signing off? Now they never sign off and it gets really bad after midnight. This is the world that we wanted our children to grow up in. Now you contrast that and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I told you I was going to tell you why we are where we are, and it's important that you know that. Contrast that with the pastor in North Carolina, Pastor John Amanchukwu, as he addresses the Wake County, North Carolina school board. He began by reading Luke chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a milestone or millstone rather tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And then pastor held up a book for 10-year-olds and he began reading from it. The title was, It's Perfectly Normal. The book features two men having sex, two women having sex, and just about every other combination imaginable with explicit drawings and explanations. All of this for 10-year-olds. The book details things I don't feel comfortable with. I've already probably said too much. That's as, that's as PG-rated as this sermon will get, okay? But I'm sure John felt uncomfortable too, but he was trying to make a point. So he began reading from the book. And it was so immoral and pornographic that the school board stopped him. But he kept reading, kept reading. And then finally he stopped and he looked at him and he said, was there something I said? <laughs> He said, and I quote, if you don't want to hear it in a school board meeting, why should children be exposed to it at school? And then he said something that most of us think but are afraid to say. He says, we have perverts perverting our kids and you all sit back and celebrate diversity, equity, and inclusion. You're cowards, man. You can celebrate one without violating the other. But the point is, this is the way it always happens. If you eradicate the word of God, if you eradicate the word of God from the public arena, there will be another absolute that takes its place. And the absolute that is present now is very demonic. It's this, there are no absolutes. Do whatever you want to do. Did God really say that? It goes all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The America where prayer and God's word were imparted to scripture or were imparted to children, where scripture was respected in the media and the culture and where central tenets of scripture were taught, those days are gone. You have to make your peace with it. Now just stay with me. At the Grammys this year, that stalwart of morality, Sam Smith decides to dress up in satanic garb and glorify the demonic world. And when he and his partner, Kim Petrus, born Tim Petrus, received their award, the place erupted. It was a huge celebration for a man who dressed and identified as a woman. Ironically, the name of the song he performed was Unholy. Shocker. No kidding. And the world watches as Sam Smith enters into a blatantly demonic performance that exemplified a satanic sexual ritual. I'm not sure most of America knew that, but those of us who have studied in the occult and tried to understand what's going on religiously in our world, we knew exactly what was going on. 
celebrating a satanic sex ritual. I can't read the lyrics, but he starts out, mommy don't know, daddy's getting hot at the body shop doing something unholy. That's the most benign, let's just leave it there. The rest of it's way too vulgar, and it's being celebrated. Imagine a major broadcast network broadcasting a satanic ritual live on air. And the reason is because Satanism is running rapid in our country. Not theological Satanism, although the satanic church is growing as well, but it's still very minimal. I'm talking about practical Satanists, which is the denial of God and the worship of self. That's our culture. Satanism, did God say that? Life is about what I want without any parameters, the worship of self. The Jesus movement ushered in love and sacrifice for one's neighbor. Satanism ushers in love for self without sacrifice for anybody. And now here we have Disney. I know I'm sounding very political at the moment. Just sit tight. Disney, in the movies Lightyear and Strange World, is promoting gay and lesbian relationships to our kids. In fact, Disney now has men dressed as women greeting your kids when they come to designated places in the park. And Disney's latest project, the movie Pauline, features an 18-year-old girl who falls in love with and is impregnated by Satan. Oh, yeah. Good old down-home fun at Disney. The spirits have returned. The falling away began decades ago, and now we're witnessing the most widespread and massive falling away from Judeo-Christian values in the entire history of the Christian age right now. Now, I could go on. The question is, who are these spirits who have returned? We said the Jesus movement relegated them to the fringes of society. Who are they and can we identify them? I'm here to tell you, yes, we can. They're not new. Been around since Mesopotamia, since civilization. They've been around. An alternative to Yahweh. They pulled Israel away from faith and commitment to God, the one true God, and they ended up destroying the nation of Israel. For instance, here we go focus. A major player in the apostasy was a god named Baal. You've heard about him, read about him. He is the king of gods, the leader of spirits. The Bible talks about him often. He's the god of fertility. You worship and pray to him when you want your crops to grow. When you give up on God, you turn to Baal. He's called the Lord of Rain. And he's often uh, pictured with a lightning bolt in his hand, getting ready to send the rain and the thunder to the earth. He's also, Baal, that is, referred to as the chief god, the Lord, the master of the gods. When the Israelites came into the land of Canaan, Baal was the false god of the land, part of the Canaanite pantheon. So that in Judges chapter 2, verse 11, then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the god of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. So rather than turn to Yahweh for fertility and faithfulness and increase and gain, they made idols out of clay. The Balim, that's just the plural for Baal, the Balim, and prayed to and worshiped them instead. Now, you and I read the Bible story. When we come across this, we say, how on earth could they do that? They had witnessed God open the Red Sea and fall the walls of Jericho. And my question, how could we do what we're doing? Many Israelites turned away from God and followed, the Bible tells us, the Balim, so that by the ninth century, now we're going all the way up. By the ninth century, the worship of Baal had made such inroads into Israel, this is a part of history that most of us don't know, that if you refused to worship Baal, you were persecuted and sometimes killed. <laughs> Baal. Now, are these 
This God Baal, is he real? Remember the story I've always told you about the little Indian boy who comes and he sees his father kneel down in front of the mantle and there are two statues there on the mantle and the father prays to them and prays to them and finally before he goes off to work, the little boy says, Dad, why do you pray to these idols? They're lifeless, motionless. They can't see, they can't do anything. They're powerless. And he slaps the boy, claps him by the ear and says, don't say that, that's sacrilege. I'll deal with you when I get home. So while he's away, the boy takes a stick and puts the stick in one of the hands of the idols and smashes the other idol. And the father returns and he says to the young man, what is this? What have you done? And the son says, isn't it obvious? The one idol smashed the other idol. See the stick in his hand? And the father said, don't be silly. Those idols are powerless. They can't see, they can't do, they can't feel anything. And the boy says, that's what I've been trying to tell you. (laughs) And the point is, the idols themselves have no power But according to scripture, the demonic forces are behind the worship of the idols. So, the statues and the images and the idols are lifeless, but the demonic forces behind them are not. In fact, Baal manifests itself, himself, however we want to describe this, all the way up into the Greek pantheon, in the god Zeus. Zeus is really the Old Testament Baal. An ancient Nabataean text, uh, Nabataean is uh, uh, an Arab people that lived east of the Jordan somewhere around the 6th century. In that text, we have these words. They regarded as God the Lord of heaven, calling him Beelzman, which in, in the Phoenician language, Lord of heaven, and in Greek, Zeus. So the Greek gods of Jupiter and Zeus were often referred to as one Zeus Belus, or Zeus Bell, or Jupiter Belus, or Jupiter Bell. And both appeared as idols standing in the same position with arms outstretched, lifted up, ready to hurl down a thunderbolt. When the gods were cast out of the Greco-Roman world by the Jesus movement, these gods, Zeus, Apollo, all these gods were relegated to the fringes and really not heard of again. But once again, the primary false god in the ancient world, Baal, the supreme false god, the god who turns people away from Yahweh, the real god, the god who promises economic flourishing but never delivers, the Baleen, who were once relegated to the fringes, have now returned back into the city of man. Has Baal, who's been on the fringes for so long, has he now returned, because of the Jesus movement, has he returned to America? You bet your life he has. Franklin Graham, and I don't agree with everything about Franklin. He is a little bit too political for me. However, God uses all people, right? Here's what he said to a group of Christian media recently. He said, and I quote, Every demon from hell has been turned loose in society. There is a storm coming and we all have to be prepared. The world has deteriorated so quickly. We cannot be deceived. We cannot be fooled. We need to get ready and be prepared. I like the focus is on the church, not the secular world. He's simply saying this. You better be ready. You better be prepared. You better not be deceived. Don't be led astray. Don't take the mark of the beast. Don't do the deeds of the evil one. Don't think the thoughts of the evil one as culture tries to take you away from God towards something else. Now listen to what the Old Testament says about the relationship between God's people and the Baalism or the Balim or Baalism. I'm reading out of 2 Kings 17 verse 15. They rejected his decrees, that is God, and the covenant he made with their ancestors and the statutes he warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. 
They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves, which we're going to talk about, and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshiped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the mission of Baal, all the way back in the earliest days, is to go into a culture, the, not, not Baal himself, not the statue, the demonic forces behind the idea, is to draw men and women away from God, away from his word, away from his law, and to trust in things that can never deliver and to live as though they never knew the real God. Now, interestingly, when Baal was unable in the past, now, let's, let's take a pause here. I'm saying that Baal has been around for thousands of years just in different forms, but it's the same demonic force behind the Greek gods, behind the Roman gods, behind the gods of Mesopotamia, been around for a long time. But the Jesus movement placed them on the fringes. That's before the Jesus movement, think about all the mythology, all the child sacrifice, all the worship that you had, and then the Jesus movement starts to change things. And so now here we are. When Baal historically has been unable to infiltrate the adult war, he goes after his children. He goes after the children of any generation. And by removing the Bible and prayer from the classroom, the demonic forces knew that they could weaken the transmission of faith from parent to child. That they could separate an entire nation from prayer and the word of God and ultimately from faith. But it's not just in America. That's how they've always operated. Can't get the adults, go after the kids. The schools may have been the beginning, but Baal's effort has not been limited to education because you know as well as I do if you're alive in this generation that every public arena was under the influence of demonic forces. In 1980, do you think it's incidental that the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that it is no longer legal, legal to display the Ten Commandments in public schools? To make them visible would be illegal. No, we're, talking about, we're not talking about proselytizing anybody. We're not talking about trying to convert anybody. We're just talking about taking the Ten Commandments upon which the country was built, morally speaking, and Western civilization, and making it illegal to display them. But the eradication didn't stop at the schools. The nation then would strike down the Ten Commandments again and again, and would ultimately banish them from any public square. So where are we now? We've removed the commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, so now we have other gods before us. And the God of the Bible has bestowed his blessing into this imperfect nation, and now we've removed his precepts from the ears of our children and have replaced it with sheer rubbish. I mean, this is totally demonic. Come on, guys. It's not just eradicating the Ten Commandments of the Bible. Now we're filling their heads with all kinds of rubbish instead of just teaching them math and science. Has Bell returned from the fringes? Are there clear signs? Okay. Now let's put the second log on the fire and get up to 88 miles an hour. Okay. Those of you born after 1985 will get that. <laughs> the mission of Baal or the Baalim has always been to cause a nation to draw away from God's word, draw away from God's law, and live as though they never knew his ways. How he does that, okay, now, when I wrote this, I thought, they're going to really like the first part and the second part not so much because we also are told how Baal can do that. How can he turn a culture away from Yahweh? Because it's reflected in his title, 
because Baal is the God of prosperity. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. I wonder if when Jesus said, pay attention, watch, look for the signs, if this is part of it. No more Ten Commandments in public. Crosses are also being banned now. It's coming. And Christians are being told to hold their religious views in private while the prophets and tenets of Baal are taking center stage. And then, one more sign. There's the Arch of Palmyra. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.